You're listening to 3 and 30 Takeaways for Moms, episode 205, How to Coach Yourself Through Your Big Emotions. Welcome to 3 and 30, a podcast for moms who want to create more meaning in motherhood. Each 30-minute episode will feature three doable takeaways for you to try at home with your family this week. I'm your host, Rachel Nielsen. Thank you so much for being here. Today, I have an absolute treat for you. In this episode, one of my favorite mentors and dear friends, Georgia Anderson, returns to the podcast for a second time to teach us how to coach ourselves through our big emotions in order to become, in her words, more emotionally literate and emotionally agile. And I just love those terms, emotionally literate and emotionally agile. We will hear all about what that means in the episode, but first let me give you a bit more background on Georgia. She is a mother to four, a stepmom to three, and a grandma to 16. She has spent her life observing, serving, and developing people as a mother, choreographer, relationship educator, massage therapist, and leadership coach. Her expertise in somatic body awareness makes her approach to coaching unique, using the science of body-mind connection as a vital tool for personal and professional development. She is a professionally certified presence-based coach and a Gottman-trained relationship educator, and she is someone that I turn to often for insight into my own emotions and experiences. She is the most generous, intuitive friend, and it was a delight to get to talk with her again on the podcast today. I can't wait to share her with all of you. First, I wanted to quickly remind you that I will be teaching two more free classes this month all about how to be a more self-assured mother, which goes along perfectly with Georgia's topic today. When you become more aware of your emotions and how to process them in healthy ways, you build confidence and clarity, and I want that for every woman in this community. So if you finish this episode and find yourself craving even more insight on how to know yourself better and become more self-assured please sign up for one of my classes. I taught my first one a few days ago and it was so much fun and I've gotten so much amazing feedback from the women who were there. You can go to 3in30podcast.com slash free class to see more details and reserve your spot. Okay, now on to the show. Here's my conversation with Georgia Anderson. Georgia, I am so happy to have you today on 3in30. Hello, my friend. I love you. I'm glad to be here. Well, I have told you this many times, but I want to say it on the air so it goes on the record that when people ask me what my favorite episode of 3 and 30 is, it's too hard for me to choose a favorite because they've all been so wonderful. But I always tell them the most impactful episode of 3 and 30 for me personally was the episode that we did together, number 77, about how to emotion coach your kids because I really do think of that episode as a turning point in my motherhood journey where I learned some of these skills that I have used with my kids ever since. And I have been an incomparably better mother because of what you taught me. So thank you for that, my friend. You changed my life, honestly. Can I tell you, every bit of work I've ever done, just that's all I needed to hear. Thank you. (laughs) You know, to know that one person was helped. Wow. That makes my day. Thank you. Well, and Noah and I were last night making dinner together and I was listening to my own podcast, which maybe sounds bizarre, but sometimes I have to listen back to episodes to remember what I've already said and what, you know, this and that. And he said to me, mom, since you started this podcast, your parenting has improved insanely. 
<laughs> was like, well, thank you, Noah. So he appreciates the emotion coaching as well. And in our conversation today, we are going to talk about how to be our own emotion coach. So you've already taught us how to be an emotion coach for our kids, but it's also very important to be an emotion coach for ourselves because most of us don't have somebody doing that for us. Like we did when we were children, maybe we had parents helping us navigate our emotions if we were lucky. But now as adults, we need to mother ourselves and we need to be our own emotion coaches. Today, you're going to teach us how. Yeah. I mean, aren't we just children having children? Isn't that what a parent is, right? We're children having children. We're always learning. We're always growing. We're always developing. And if I have learned anything in the years of learning to do this myself and practicing it myself, it's that a good coach has to be coached. Like they also have to be coached. They have to be in that place of learning and growth and development and awareness, or they can't really do it well for someone else. We can go through the motions. Yeah. But until we are in that place of learning and growth and trial and error and experiencing it ourselves, we're not as effective. Yeah. And I've definitely found that as I am more compassionate with my own emotions and my own mistakes, I'm a more compassionate parent. And so it starts with how we treat ourselves and how we treat our own emotions. And then we can extend that same grace to our children. Absolutely. I, I agree. <laughs> I had to come up with a, a really weird word for that because it's just so true. <laughs> yeah. And it can go the other direction as well. I think sometimes as we gain more skills and compassion to teach our children how to manage their emotions and navigate, we can then see, okay, I need to be doing this for myself because it's sometimes easier to have grace with our children or with other people than with ourselves. So yeah, today you're going to teach us how to do that. And yeah. let's just get started with your first takeaway. All right. So I'm coming back to my theater and dance life in these words that I've chosen to share. So, so they're kind of artsy and fun, and I just invite you to have fun with them, okay? Okay. I also want to make a little disclaimer as you practice and start and think about trying these things. Anyone that has a lot of trauma that they have not dealt with that's unresolved, anyone that is severely struggling with mental illness right now, these can actually be triggers. So you have to, again, know yourself well enough to know if this is helpful for you. So those two things are things we want to be aware of. You know, if you have some severe unresolved trauma, be aware if this is triggering you and take care of yourself first. Okay. Mm. That's such an important disclaimer. Why is this triggering for somebody that has trauma? Well, we all have trauma at some level, but if it's unresolved and if we have been padding ourselves or, you know, avoiding it in some way, and then this brings it right here to the surface and here we are with no one supporting us and no one helping us, right? Take, taking away the padding. Yeah. Yeah. You need yeah. to have the help of a trained professional to help you with that. So yeah. you don't want to be doing self-care on severe trauma experiences. You don't want to try to self-coach. You need somebody to actually walk you through it. Most likely. I think that's so yeah. important. And that's why I love therapy. So yes, yes. Plug yes. for that. Yep. Okay. So let's hear your first takeaway in your dance metaphors. My dance metaphors. Here we go. My first takeaway is to slow and know. So you'll see on a lot of the things I write and share that one of my coaching mottos is to thine own self be true, Shakespeare's statement. This above all else, he says, to thine own self be true, which helps us then not be false to anyone else. So 
to know ourselves in order to manage our emotions, we have to have awareness and attention. This is not concentration. It's different than concentration. Hmm. It's awareness and attention. So it's not like we're trying to notice our emotions. We're allowing our emotions. We're being aware of them in the vicinity. We're not like focusing in on them really hard. Okay. Mm -hmm. So awareness and attention. We can't just speed through our lives depending on habits we created in stressful moments to get us through. It mm. becomes very unhelpful to us as we just continually live our lives in a habitual form. Yeah. Now, habits are helpful in some ways. Our brain likes habits. It makes us more efficient. But when it comes to human connection and human growth, habits can get in the way, and especially if they're ways of emotionally reacting to things. Mm -hmm. If they're habits that we've formed, like you said, in times of stress, mm -hmm. they're not habits that we consciously formed to calm ourselves. Right. They're habits that we formed to deal with pain or emotions that we weren't quite ready to look at yet. And that's not helpful to continue repeating those patterns over and over throughout our life. Exactly. Because emotions are information. They're like data. Mm. And if we don't treat them as such, if we just treat them as the same thing, the same thing coming back to us all the time, and we don't take the data and, and recognize them and make a choice about it, we're just on a flat plane. We're not growing and developing and flourishing. So this ability to be aware and pay attention to what's happening in us, and I'll tell you the best key of that or the best awareness is your body. Your body will tell you more about your emotions than your thoughts by far. Mm, and that's a hard one for me. Yeah. Didn't you just talk about The Body Keeps the Score? Weren't you talking yeah. about that book? I, yeah. I just read it and it's hard for me to be in my body. I much prefer to be in my mind. So this is hard for work sure. for me to slow down and mm -hmm. feel what's going on in my body. Right. And if we are willing to slow down and feel what happens in our body with an emotion, we will become more emotionally literate and agile. Just like knowing a lot of words to be a good writer, knowing what a feeling feels like, knowing what our physiological response is to that is going to give us power. Yeah. It's going to give us the ability to work with it, yeah. to use that information in a positive way. Yeah. I love that you say emotions are data and the physical sensations of our body are data. In the first episode that you did on the podcast, you taught us to notice our kids' emotions when they're small and to name them for our kids. Yeah. And we can do the same thing for ourselves, to notice in our bodies emotions when they're small and to name them. I have found, though, that that's not always easy to name it. Right. You know, the other day I was feeling really physically draggy and foggy and down, but bizarre. My body felt bizarre. I almost felt like I had COVID again, which freaked me out, but oh. um, I didn't. What I finally said to myself was, I think you are feeling nervous and anxious about your program launch that you're doing. Mm -hmm. And this is your body telling you that. I wasn't sure though. I was trying to name the emotion, but I wasn't sure that that's what was going on. But then I journaled it all out and I felt a lot of relief. So when you're trying to identify your own bodily sensations and your own emotions, is that what you would do? Just do it tentatively like you taught us to do with our kids? Yes. Put it out there as a tentative statement and then see how it responds and how it resonates with you? Yes, exactly. 
And you just asked questions like, I'm not sure what I'm feeling. You're trying it on, right? You're experimenting. You're being curious with it. And especially if you're a newcomer at noticing physical sensation and emotion, you're going to have to slow down and be very curious and tentative and and make some mistakes, right? Have a growth mindset about it. Mm -hmm. Let it be something you experiment with and learn because that's how we do learn, right? Is by experimenting, not getting it right, trying again, trying something on. Yeah. Can you give an example from your life of how you've used this slow and no to coach yourself through an emotion? Yeah. Well, first I'll tell you a habit I created. Okay. So I'm the eighth of 11 children. Yes. My mother's a saint. She had all of us in 15 years. It's crazy to me to think about. But as the eighth of 11 children, there was a lot of chaos, a lot going on in my home. And, you know, I had siblings that got in trouble and that were naughty and, you know, did normal naughty things that kids do. And Maybe I should say they experimented a lot. <laughs> I don't know. But I remember some of my siblings getting in trouble and watching mm. that as a young, young child, like three, four years old, you know, watching my older siblings get in trouble. And I remember distinctly thinking, not going to be me. That is not going to be me. Mm-hmm. And I developed very young the habit of appeasing. It was a way of me avoiding any hard conversations, any challenges. So I developed this habit of appeasing in my life, okay? Okay. So can I save the end of that story till the third takeaway? Because it keys in with it. It ties in together? Yeah. So that was a habit that was formed in stress. Right. That you didn't necessarily know about until you were older and you looked at your history and you noticed these patterns. Exactly. Because, I mean, I did not learn to do this until well into my 20s and beyond learning to actually notice when I was doing that. I would say Mm. I didn't really become aware of that until I was in my 40s that I was an appeaser. That was my go-to. Yeah. You start noticing, you start watching your behavior, you start noticing patterns. Journaling is a huge part of that, which kind of plays into our takeaway number two. Perfect. Before we head into our second takeaway, I'd like to take a minute to thank the two partners who are making this episode possible. First, this episode is sponsored by Learning with Kelsey, a subscription box for moms who want to teach their young children at home. Each subscription box is full of engaging and effective activities for children ages six and under, all curated by an experienced early education educator who wants to make at-home learning fun and easy for busy moms to do with their children. As November is drawing to a close, I'm reminded with a bit of a shudder of dread that winter will soon be upon us and we will be spending a lot more time indoors as a family. Learning with Kelsey would be a perfect way to break up those long winter days with your littles at home. My kids are past preschool and kindergarten age, but this is what my assistant Molly said about using these boxes with her four young children. Crafting does not come naturally to me. I get so overwhelmed while roaming the craft store aisles trying to come up with activities for my kids, or I buy supplies and let them collect dust because I'm too intimidated to start. But I do love to create with my kids. They light up when I sit next to them with colorful supplies and let them get messy. Something I love about learning with Kelsey is that it comes with a curated amount of supplies you need, a small cup of paint or enough pom-pom balls, beads, and pipe cleaners for the activities she curated for you that month. This means less mess and less overwhelm for me as a mom, end quote. 
If you want to engage in meaningful learning and fun at home with your kids, check out all of the different boxes that are offered and choose one that is perfect for your family at learningwithkelsey.com. That's learningwithkelsey.com and use the code 3in30 for 50% off your first box. This episode is also sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. Nothing has helped me learn how to notice and manage my big emotions and look at the habits I formed while under stress more than going to counseling. I have seen several different therapists over the past 10 years, including one exclusively online, and each therapist I've worked with has brought so much insight and so many tools into my life that have improved my emotional agility tremendously. If you're struggling with big emotions right now, like anger, fear, anxiety, or depression, I can't recommend therapy highly enough, and BetterHelp is such a convenient option. BetterHelp offers customized online therapy via video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist, so you don't have to see anyone on the screen if you don't want to. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp, and 3 and 30 listeners get 10% off their first month at BetterHelp.com slash 3 and 30. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash 3 and 30. And now, back to the show. After you slow down and know yourself and know your body, what do you do next? So the next is to show and grow. Let that feeling be and take a look at it, journal about it, write about it, whatever you need to do so that it gives it space and you can make then what you said a choice. We can choose mm. to show up differently than we would normally in our habit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We are in control. We are choosing instead of just defaulting back to the old habits that we weren't even aware of before. Mm. Just that experimentation is such a, an important part of personal flourishing. Uh-huh. The ability to experiment and fail and maybe be a little bit wrong and try something different, giving yourself permission to do that, to grow in emotional agility, like you have to break down the fibers of a muscle to become more flexible, right? You have mm-hmm. to be able to do that to grow stronger. So the same thing is true for emotional strength and agility mm. and the ability to self-manage our emotions. Yeah. I love that term, emotional agility and emotional literacy that you mentioned earlier. How has this takeaway played out in your life? Well, I'm going to share with you the story of my son and our piano wars, okay? Okay. (laughs) So (laughs) my son started piano lessons at about age five or six, and he was a non-complaining gifted practicer, which is so Mm. rare. But for like five years, he would sit down at the piano and play. And he loved his teacher and he loved his lessons. And it all was going well. Something, I don't know to this day what clicked, but he was about nine or 10 years old. And he just said, no, I'm done. I don't want to do this anymore. And this kid was really like, his teacher loved him. He thought he was going to go places. And of course, I had big dreams for that as well, because we had a sign on our fridge that said, you only have to practice on the days you eat. So (laughs) that's hardcore. It was hardcore. And it wasn't because I was raising concert pianists or violinists. It was because we just used music in our family as a vehicle for many things like discipline, something that was hard we did every day, learning self-expression. There were a lot of values around music for me. Yeah. I'm laughing because I talked about piano lessons in my episode last week about... (laughs) 
choosing the battles you're going to fight with your kids. And I know that music is a really core part of your family, not just your family with your children, but your extended family and your 10 siblings and Mm -hmm. your parents are amazing musicians. And so this is a very important, I mean, I've seen the videos on Instagram of the extended family gatherings that are like a full-on orchestra with all of the young children playing stringed instruments and everybody. It's, it's a big deal. In your family. It's, it's hardcore. It's Handel's Messiah, Hallelujah Chorus, every Thanksgiving. Yep. Full on. It, it's a yeah. big deal. So you can see all the layers here, right? There yes. were so many layers. And when he decided that he was out, like, I am not touching the keys. Every habit I had came to the surface, right? Every emotional habit, like, it so quickly ramped up into a power struggle. Mm. Because, I mean, like you were describing, generational value of music and all the reasons we were doing it. So he sat at the piano bench for, I'm sure it was weeks for his full allotted practice time. By that time, he was generally practicing 45 minutes a day. And he would sit there and not touch the keys. So I started, I was just fuming inside and I was terrified, absolutely terrified because he was on the older end of my four kids and what precedent was that setting? And Mm. there were all kinds of things that were coming up for me emotionally around this. And, you know, I finally realized I, I can't force him to touch the keys. I cannot force him to practice. So am I going to feed him? I mean, am I going to stick to that? (laughs) I was just going to ask that. So did you feed him? (laughs) I did feed him, but I stuck to, he had to sit on the bench. So I started mm-hmm. moving the bar and, you know, negotiating with him pretty soon. You know, after a few weeks, I realized this, this is not going to happen. We need to renegotiate this. But before I got to that point, I had to emotion coach myself. Like I had to work through what is keeping me here. Mm. What is keeping me so tied into this narrative Yeah, that I can't budge? I had to look at what I was doing, the habit I had formed at being this drill sergeant, you know, disciplinarian. I don't know what emotional words I would put to it, but it was rigid. Mm -hmm. It was very rigid. And when I realized that and spoke to some people that care about me and care about him and was able to say how I was feeling and explore Mm -hmm. it, right, to show up in a different way is basically what I had to do. I had to show up in a different way and start having conversations with him around, you know, this is a family value. What are we going to do about it? What do you want to do about it? Well, what we ended up doing was he really just refused to practice. I refused to totally let him quit. So we compromised and he went to his same teacher who he adored and learned music theory on his lesson days. Hmm. So this is how we grew, right? He didn't touch the piano again until he was in late high school. And then he learned Hmm. it was a chick magnet. So he started playing. (laughs) But in the meantime, he'd had all this music theory up until he was 12. The rule was they take till they're 12 and then they choose. So he'd had all this music theory before he was 12. And by high school, then he got in jazz band or something. And he was a theory whiz and he could improvise on the piano and the girls were just loving it. So anyway, what it taught me was that that rigidity, that inability to slow down, know how I'm feeling, and then try showing up in a different way. Mm -hmm. Try showing up and developing myself in a different way rather than this way I think it has to be. 
mm-hmm. was huge for us. It was huge for our relationship. We were at a make or break point many times in this child's life because he happened to push a lot of my buttons. Mm-hmm. He helped me to grow so much. But mm. when I finally learned this pattern of my own emotional awareness, my own ability to show up differently and try something new, even though I was the adult, the parent. Mm. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure there's so many moms listening that are relating to that specific story and are relating to slowing down, finding your emotions, letting go and growing and growing into the person that you want to be, which I think leads into your last takeaway. What's the last step in this process? Okay. Well, these are really artsy words, but my last takeaway is to flow and glow. So we hear a lot about flow now in the world, like when are you in a state of flow? Well, as you develop the ability to be there, to be present with your emotions and to use the information to give you choices and to try new experiments, you become more like a dancer as you become more agile in doing Mm. that and you practice it over and over again, you get so you can be in a state of flow. It doesn't mean you're reactive. It means you are accustomed to knowing and loving your emotions and the bodily sensations that accompany it because it's giving you information. It's giving you a way to connect more fully with people. Mm. And the glow part is about what I think it creates is an inner wisdom. It's it's self-assurance. Yeah. Yeah. It's the self-assurance that I've been talking about, that inner confidence that you know who you are, you know how to identify your emotions, and you trust yourself. Yes. And you know you may make mistakes in there. Mm -hmm. That's part of that glow. That's part of that forgiveness and acceptance and ability to be human and to know that the human experience is not a perfection experience. It's it's an experience of constantly growing and changing. So that flow and glow is just kind of that dance, that agile flow that comes with practice, comes with doing it over and over and over again. Yeah. And how has this takeaway played out in your life? Oh, okay. So I'm going to go back to the story of appeasing people. Yes. Okay. Yes. So when Mark and I got married about 16 years ago, I was still in the process of really noticing how much appeasing I did. But I did know at that point that I rarely ask, let alone fight for what I really want, unless it's a huge ethical dilemma. Then I kind of am standing up for it. But as a result, I found myself throughout my marriage and in my relationships, building up resentment, which I know as a marriage educator is the most serious thing you can build up with your partner, right? You Mm -hmm. do not want contempt and resentment. But as a result of my appeasing habit, I was building up resentment. So the example I'm going to give is my wedding ring. Mark and I went shopping for a wedding ring when we were engaged 16, 17 years ago. And this was the second marriage. Yes, this was our second marriage. So I'm 40 years old. Mm -hmm. And I was showing him some of the rings, but not making a big deal of it because, you know, I'm an appeaser. And I was showing him some really flat, simple rings that I liked, specifically pointing out a couple in particular. And then long story short, we ended up getting engaged. He's kneeling down on his knee in front of a beautiful mountain lake and singing me a song with tears in his eyes. And I'm crying and he hands me the ring and I open up the ring and I am not kidding you, Rachel. The ring was as tall as the mountain. Like it was so tall. <laughs> and I was 
a little bit speechless, but I was not about to ruin that moment by saying, this is not the ring I wanted, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I live a very active life and the ring was constantly poking me, snagging on my clothes, all the things, you know. All the sports. I mean, you do a lot of hiking and yeah. outdoor cross-country skiing and you're very active. <laughs> right, right. This ring was not conducive to that. Right. Okay, so I want to make you guess, but it took me six years because of my appeasing nature, habit nature, to say something. When I finally faced squarely my emotion, I looked at it and I faced the embarrassment over sounding selfish and all the things mm -hmm. that an appeaser doesn't want to feel. Mm -hmm. I found the courage to show up in a different way and stated the explicit truth in a clear way. And it was not easy. Hmm. But the long story is we found a new ring that I absolutely adore and I feel special wearing. And every time I look at that ring, I not only feel my love for my husband, but that glow mm. inside, it grows when I look at this ring because of the knowledge I was true to myself. Mm. Right? I mean, it's, it's such a small thing. But it's just an example of how powerful that ability to practice and do those things is. Yeah. You had the conversation. It wasn't easy. You stood up for what you wanted. And now you get to look at that every day and remember that. And I'm sure that you and Mark are closer because you had that conversation and got to know each other better than you constantly appeasing and not really saying what you want or not really letting him know you to the full extent. Yes. So many of us keep our loved ones kind of at arm's length because we're not authentic with them. So they can't really know us. Right. I like the words you used because it's not necessarily easier, but we are closer. Mm -hmm. Like yeah. me not being an appeaser because he married an appeaser. That's who he married. Mm. Yeah. So for me now, as I grow in wisdom and, you know, it doesn't necessarily make it easier in the short term, mm. but it makes it much richer and more beautiful in the long run. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. Well, I just love talking with you, Georgia. You have a breadth of life experience and you give me a lot of hope as a mother. So thank you for teaching us about how to be our own emotion coach. If people listening want to work with you, where can they find you? I am at georgiaandersoncoaching.com and georgiaandersoncoaching on Instagram. I would love to give anyone a free 20-minute session to see what coaching is all about. Oh. That is so generous. Okay. We'll put all of that information in the show notes. And I can't thank you enough for coming on 3 and 30. Love you dearly, Rachel. Thanks for having me. I was so excited there at the end when Georgia said that she gives a free 20-minute consult to people who want to learn more about coaching because I have had many an informal phone consult with her. <laughs> where I've texted her and she's called me about my kids' behaviors and my anxieties and fear. And she is such a wise mentor with so much insight and compassion. Check out the show notes to find her website and get signed up to talk with her. And now to recap George's three takeaways on how to coach yourself through your big emotions. First, slow to know. If you are going to know what you are feeling emotionally, you have to first slow down long enough to notice what you are feeling physically. Your body has information for you and emotions are data. 
It's also important to notice the habits you've developed throughout your life to manage stress and reflect on whether or not you want to continue those patterns, which leads right in to takeaway number two, which is show and grow. Once you've slowed down and become aware of your habits, you can choose to show up differently and create space to grow. This will be especially important within your relationships with your partner and children. When you find yourself in gridlock with them, such as George's example with her son refusing to play the piano, ask yourself why, what emotions are underneath, and practice showing up differently and growing in your relationship with them and yourself. And third and finally, flow and glow. As you get into the flow of noticing your emotions and speaking your truth honestly, it becomes easier and you will start to glow. In other words, truly know yourself and your worth. At the beginning of the episode, Georgia mentioned a Shakespeare quote from the play Hamlet. This above all to thine own self be true, and it must follow as the night the day. Thou canst not then be false to any man. And for all of those English geeks out there, I know this quote in context is quite ironic because it's Polonius who says it, but taken out of context, it is actually excellent advice. When you know yourself deeply and you are true to yourself, you cannot be dishonest with anyone else. You will be stronger, more self-assured, and more emotionally agile as a person and mother. I hope you'll come to my free class this week or next week to learn more about this. And I hope that you have a beautiful week with your family.